following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. Trust me, there'll be plenty of time to chat. Um, I want to do, do my best to spend time in God's Word with you. One of, one of the, um, the clear requests from uh, Taylor and Kendrick was that Nothing changes this morning, that this is, this is the Lord's together. We're, we're gathered to celebrate the Lord and His resurrection. And we aim to do that every Sunday. And so we made no changes to our order of service, other than I hope to be uh, abnormally brief. So, um, you know, just say a prayer. Um, I do want to mention that uh, John uh, was slated to preach uh, for us this morning from Psalm 48. Um, and Jake and I got a message last night that Mia has COVID, which first week of school going really well, I guess. Um, and so obviously they're at home quarantining and taking care of her. Uh, we're going to pray for them and hopefully that doesn't spread um, to, to the rest of the family. And, um, you know, this time keep John out of the hospital for as long as possible. We'll pray specifically for them and for those who can't gather with us this morning. Um, but I also pray for the Lord's uh, work through his word on a, um, on a, what we call in the preaching world, a Saturday night special. All right. So that's what you're getting this morning. So pray with me. Father, thank you for your word, which is precious and goes forth independent of any man, whether John or me or Jake or the best of men who preach, Lord, it is not the power of our tongue, Lord, but the power of your word. And so I pray, God, a special, uh, grace and provision, uh, that you would use, uh, my own attempt this morning to be faithful, that you would open up the ears and hearts of those here to receive with gladness your word, that they would be confronted by sin through the Spirit, that they would be encouraged by your kindness and the blessing of belonging to Christ, that they would, and we all would, uh, be edified and equipped to walk faithfully and humbly before you in response to your word, and that above all, Christ would be honored and glorified for the theme, not only of this sermon and of the service, but of this day. So, Father, we ask, God, that you would guide us. We pray specifically for John and Sandra and for, for Mia and the others, God, that you would uh, protect them and help them care for one another, love one another as the, the uh, virus may potentially spread. We pray specifically, Lord, for Mia as she deals with those symptoms. God, would you encourage her and give her a strength to, to trust and believe. Grateful, God, for John and Sandra who are caring uh, for her. And well, we do pray for protection uh, from the worst of it. We pray, God, for those who are not here, who cannot gather because of sicknesses or traveling. We pray that you would encourage them by your word and spirit. For those who are not here because of sin or neglect, God, that they would be confronted and graciously drawn to you. So, Lord, we, we pray and depend upon your help now this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So please open to Psalm 48 in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab the ones on the seats next to you. And it's going to be somewhere near the beginning uh, or the middle of the Bible, Psalm 48. The large numbers on the page are the chapter's number, the smaller the verse. We're going to be in Psalm 48. We're going to read the entire thing. And then after I'm done reading... I will invite you to give thanks to the Lord for His Word um, by saying thanks be to God. So let's read Psalm 48, starting in verse 1. A song, of, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. 
Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made Himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled as they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. And as we have seen, as we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, in which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about in Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past week, Brittany and I decided to take the family to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. If you've not been there, I want to encourage you strongly to go and make a visit with or without your your children. It's a remarkable and, and beautiful series of exhibits in obviously a very beautiful city. There's one exhibit in particular called the Hebrew Bible Experience. And the only way to describe it is that it places you, it immerses you in this multimedia tour of the scriptures. You walk in, you sit in a room, and there's a projection on the wall that spans across two or three of them. And there's a scroll, and the narrator, who we know eventually to be Ezra, will say something to the effect of, this is a scroll, but it is no normal scroll. It is the word of the Lord. And from the very beginning, he tells and rehearses what the Bible teaches us, that God created all things. And it begins with a blinding white light, and the look and the fear of amazement on my children's faces right next to me was something that I'll I'll never forget. From that room, then, you walk through a multimedia experience of the flood. Quite realistic. In fact, Tinley, who does not enjoy storms, was trying to leave and go back out the way she came. But as you made your way through that part, you came into a room of white walls with rainbow-colored lights. And a truly breathtaking experience. And to see Tinley's face go from fear to wonder and amazement was well worth the price of admission. And so you walk through, story by story, the entire Old Testament. And it was such a beautiful experience, even at some times nearly moved to tears in parts of it. And one of the expressions and the responses from, from Brittany was, was one of gratitude and, and thankfulness. We were impressed by what it would take to pull off something like that. The, the narration and the technology all involved is, is surely impressive. But what's most impressive was the response that Christians who walk through that would feel. Like Brittany, you would see and know and have gratitude for the work of God since the beginning of creation. And she was glad at that moment to be a Christian, that the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, the God who created all things, 
the God who sustained life, who gave promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the one who built a kingdom, and even one who oversaw the despair of that kingdom as it's thrown into exile, the one who promises hope and redemption, and who sees to it that his promises will always be fulfilled. Well, that's the same God we worship. As Christians, it's a beautiful reminder that our God is a great and awesome God. And so the response, like in verse 1 of our text, is great is the Lord and greatly to be praised when you consider His works and His kindness and His care for His people despite their sins and their hostility and their rebellion. It's one of humility and gratitude and wonder at the kindness of God. Well, I think Psalm 48 is, is meant to elicit that kind of response from those who walk with the Lord. That as you read through this, you see that there's a true benefit and blessing to belong to God, unique among only those who are His. The main idea, I think, of Psalm 48 is that it is, it is blessed to be an inhabitant of the city of Zion, the city of the Lord. To be a, a citizen of that kingdom, to be a, an inhabitant of the city of Zion or the city of God, means that you share in the fortunes of God's power and protection and provision for his people. Because he is your king, and he rules and reigns over this city. And the city is established forever in the rule and reign of the king. Psalm 48 is meant to tell us how blessed Zion is, because its king is greatly to be praised. The response of which is for the inhabitants of the city in gratefulness and humility to then praise. Notice it says in verse 1, Great is the Lord, and therefore He is to be greatly praised. Praised for His greatness, for who He is, but also that He has established a people and a kingdom to Himself. As we study this morning, my prayer is that you would, as a Christian, be thankful, grateful, moved in humility and wonder and amazement that you, as a Christian, belong to God and has been established in the city of our God. Let me say a little bit about Mount Zion to give you some context to, to really unlock the, the greater meaning of Psalm 48. Zion is mentioned several times. You see it there in verse 2. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the far north, and the city of the great king. Zion is a, a phrase that came to mean all of who God is as king and ruler over his people. At one point, it began as a very real city, a place on a map. David conquered it, and Zion became also known as the city of David, going also by other names. Jerusalem, the holy city, or Mount Zion. So temporally and geographically, Zion is a place on a map that God's people could visit. There, the tabernacle and eventually the temple would be built, and Jerusalem would be built up around it, and it was this great place of worship for God's people. When you wanted to worship God, you would come to the temple to offer praise and sacrifices. Worshippers from all over, no matter where they came from, would travel up to Jerusalem as it existed on a hill to worship God. But as God's people grew, 
and his revelation to the prophets and his promises to his people also grew. Greater clarity came about what God was intending to do with Zion through his people as he established this city for himself. So there was not only a geographical, temporal place that refers to Zion, but now a non-spatial, non-temporal, non-geographic idea of Zion where God would dwell and reign as Lord over all. This is God's holy city, it's called. A place where his kingship is recognized and exalted and would come to mean all of the weird and intricate and crazy stories that God would bring about to accomplish his purposes that we read in the New Testament. The small wonders and works which the Psalms call us to praise. It would mean ultimately this beautiful picture of all that was to come true according to God's promises. Eschatologically, Zion is at the center of God's plans of redemption and fulfillment at the end of the world. There is a city in the end of the book of Revelation that is Zion, where God rules and reigns over all creation, a redeemed, renewed, and restored earth, where all nations come to worship and praise God. You begin to see how important Zion is to the message of Psalm 48 and to the hopes and the expectations of God's people as God is building His kingdom on earth. It's there at the center of all of God's purposes and plans for redemption and consummation. And through Zion, the world would be transformed. God will establish His reign over all the nations. This city of David will be ruled by the Son of David in which all peoples would come to worship and acknowledge. The throne of the Lord of the city of Zion would radiate in eminence and perfection around the cosmos. And so against the backdrop of Zion, Psalm 48 is then about kingship. It's about permanence. It's about hope. The psalmist wants to point our attention to the, the promised expectation of not only what God has done for his people through Zion, but what ultimately will become of Zion and his people despite the enemies that might face them. It's a question of who is ultimately king over the world, who will ultimately last, which kingdom will endure, which people will be permanent, what hope is there, who is right, where can we be safe, Whose God will ultimately prevail? The God of these scriptures or the God of the world? Psalm 48 is very clear that because the Lord is the King of Zion, those who are its inhabitants have much to praise God for. For Zion will endure. Zion is established forever. Now the way that I want to do this is examine Zion from two different perspectives. One, chiefly from the perspective of its inhabitants, and then briefly from the perspective of its enemies. We're going to examine Zion from the perspective of its inhabitants, those who belong to Zion, those who belong to the Lord, whose king is God, that is, Christians who belong by faith to the church of Christ, and those who do not belong, but are enemies of the kingdom of Zion. First, consider Zion from the perspective of its inhabitants. For those 
who are inhabitants of Zion. Zion is a revelation of God's beauty and protection. Zion is a revelation of God's beauty and protection. Look at the first three verses again. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. With her citadels, God has made Himself known as a fortress. Notice that the joy of the city is the praise of its great God. Great is the Lord, it says. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Where? In the city of our God. He is the Lord above all. He is great above all. And so He is deserving and worthy of our great praises. What is the cause of this joy? It is the greatness of God Himself. It is the very person as God has revealed himself to be. Notice, it says in verse 3, within her citadels, God has made himself known. That is, to know God is to be a member, a citizen, an inhabitant of the city of Zion. We can look at the church and see and know something about God as he has revealed himself through her. So it is, God reveals himself as great and glorious through the gospel of Jesus. That the whole point that Jesus came to earth was not only to ransom us and to redeem us from our sins, but to remind us, to show us, to cut through the sin and the corruption of our own hearts to say God is good and God is great. He is worthy of your praises. He has created you and therefore you must worship Him. Sin disrupts and distorts our relationship, but faith in Christ and the gospel unites us to God. And so we rejoice, it says, for God's greatness. There's cause of joy because Zion belongs to him. It is his holy city, it says. His holy mountain, verse 1. The great city of the great king there in verse 2. The city belongs to God. And so the protection is in his hands. His protection guarantees their survival. So there's great cause for rejoicing, to praising this great God greatly because of who He is, because of His greatness above all gods, because He has purchased and redeemed a people for Himself who He takes care of, whom He protects, whom He has committed Himself for their good. Those who have found refuge within its walls, it is the same as taking shelter in God Himself. Notice it says, that through him, in verse 3, through the citadels, within the citadels, through these citizens of Zion, God makes himself known. There's a sense in which, a sense in which what is said of Zion is true of God. That as Zion is strong, impenetrable, mighty, and that those who take refuge in it are protected, so it is with God. Zion reflects the nature of God's character that all who belong to it have refuge not simply behind a shelter, but in God Himself. And so the beauty and the blessings of God's greatness and kindness, friends, is to point us beyond our circumstances to the very heart of God. Because He has purchased a people for Himself and has made a people, a kingdom of priests and a nation of a royal priesthood. He is telling us that He cares for us. He has established Zion in Christ and he is calling to himself a kingdom over which he is Lord. He is worthy to be praised. And so we praise God for the beauty 
of the gospel in Zion. It says there in verse 2, beautiful in elevation, the joy of all the earth. We rejoice and give thanks to God, our great God, because what he has done is beautiful. There is something majestic and attractive about what God has done. The gospel is a truly beautiful, remarkable, wonderful thing that deserves our admonition and our affection. And the gospel not only is beautiful in and of itself, the good news that Christ became man to save sinners, to reconcile them to God, but he also makes those things which were not beautiful, beautiful on their own. And it leads to the praise of God. Just consider the prophet Isaiah, as he says in chapter 52, what Paul would later quote in Romans 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. For those who are inhabitants of Zion, there is a beautiful revelation of God's gospel, clarity of his love and of his protection and affection for his people that we celebrate. And so we are praising God because he is worthy to be praised. Not only is Zion a revelation of God's beauty from and protection, it is also a symbol of God's victory and promise in verses 4 through 8. Notice that it says that the kings begin to assemble and they come on together. They, they're plotting against Zion. This refers and reminds us back in Psalm chapter 2, while the nations plot and rage in vain against the anointed one. But the Lord would protect not only his anointed, but also his kingdom. For those who inhabit Zion, it is a symbol of God's victory and promise. What a spectacle it would be to watch from the towers of Zion the enemy's approach only to return, to, to retreat in fear, to run home because of the dread which, which had utterly seized them, their shaking and their anguish as, those, as one who is giving birth, the pain and the torment that oversets them causes them to run. The Lord himself, himself would follow suit and shatter the ships of Tarshish, there in verse 7. That he would have victory over his enemies by simply poising himself, revealing himself through his people. For those who inhabit the city of Zion, there is great confidence in the stronghold of the city because of the strength and terror of its God. There is no boasting in the aim or the accuracy of the archers who sit atop the tower. There is no boasting in the planning and the laying and the military might and strategic welfare of, of the generals of the army. The boasting is in the strength and the protection of the Lord. There's great confidence that those who inhabit the city have in the city itself because of the strength and terror of its God. And the ultimate basis for this confidence is the promises in God of God, in which God promises to establish his kingdom over the hearts and lives of all people forever. There in verse 8, as we have heard, so we have seen. God has promised and is fulfilling and the city of the Lord of hosts and the city of our God, which God will establish forever. He has made a commitment and a promise to establish his kingdom over all peoples, and God will do so. So Zion for the inhabitants of the city is a symbol of God's victory and promise. Third, for those who inhabit the city of Zion, it is a presence of God's power and glory. 
verses 9 through 11. We have thought of your steadfast love, O Lord, in the midst of your temple. That is, they come to Zion to know and experience the presence of God in their midst, to worship and give praises and sacrifices to it. So Zion is to be praised because there God dwells. God's presence is really there. Not a feeling you may receive or the chills and the tingles you get like Brittany and I had at the encounter, but the very presence of God which causes men to fall on their face. The dangerous and terrible presence of God which demanded that only one priest, one day a year, was able to walk into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices to the Lord. One misstep, one impure spirit, one unconfessed sin spelled death and destruction for all those who would dare come into the presence of God. And yet, God's presence dwelled in the midst of the temple. So Zion is praised because God has chosen to dwell among his people there. And this is the greatest of the blessings of the inhabitants of the city. We are grateful and give praise to God because his presence and his power and his glory is there among us. This, of course, is the ultimate and full reality that awaits the people of God. In the heavenly Jerusalem, in the new Zion that would be established in Revelation 21, listen to what it says. Paul recounts his, or John recounts his vision. The Lord showed him, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You see, the, the, the blessing of Zion is that God himself is in the midst of it. This is not a perfect environment in which God sets his people loose to enjoy, but he himself is not present. No, the very blessing and the privilege of Zion is that God himself is there. Not only is he there and promises that this is where his people will dwell for all eternity, but it is the seat of God's righteous reign and rule from which he administers and calls forth justice and judgment over the earth. It says in verse 11, Let Mount Zion be glad, let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments as he rules and reigns in the presence of his people. So God will establish justice. God will call his people to himself. He will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. He will assign those who are in Christ to eternity with him and in his presence. And he will assign those outside of Christ in rebellion against him to everlasting torment. And so Zion, from the perspective of its inhabitants, is one of God's presence, its power and glory. And lastly, from the perspective of the inhabitants of Zion, Zion is proof of God's covenant to love. The existence of the city itself proves and demonstrates that God loves them. What is demonstrated by his protection against their enemies, his abiding presence within their midst, the great promises that he makes and fulfills for their good and for their joy? What, what's demonstrated in all of this? It is that God loves them and is committed to them, that he has called them to himself and is working and actively engaged in their good, for their good, their joy. And his glory. He is their guide, it says. Consider her ramparts, verse 13. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God. 
our God forever. He will guide us forever. What's demonstrated in all of this is that He loves His people. He's committed to them. He is their God and will be into eternity. His reign and His rule as king over His people is the great joy and the great privilege of their lives. And so Zion itself stands as proof that God loves His people. Consider Paul's words in Romans 5.8, that God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, friends, that God has demonstrated a love for you, that the fact that you are called as a Christian to be an inhabitant of the city of Zion means that He has demonstrated such a great love for you at the expense of the death of His own Son. God has saw fit to demonstrate His love as John would say in chapter 3, that he would send his only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What other proof of God's love for you do you need than Jesus, his death, and your belonging to him by faith as a member and inhabitant of the city of Zion? So friends, as an inhabitant of of God's kingdom, From the perspective of those who inhabit the city of Zion, we see great proof of God's love and power and might and protection of His greatness and His glory on display. But consider briefly with me, Zion from the perspective of its enemies. I just want to look briefly at those same sections we saw from the inhabitants of Zion itself. Instead of great joy and the revelation of God's beauty and protection, The perspective of its enemies is one of the sight of ungodly jealousy and disdain. They do not rejoice in God's greatness. They do not see Zion as beautiful and exalted above all, all the earth. They see what is made known about God, and they despise it and they hate it. They are jealous of God's people. They are jealous of God's glory, and so they desire for themselves its ruin. Not only this, but Zion, for those who are its enemies and not its inhabitants, is the cause of great threat and fear. Just in verse 4 through 8, we see that those who have come against it find themselves trembling at fear of what the Lord might do. There is great threat and fear that seizes those who come against God. Not only this, but we see Zion from the perspective of its enemies as a source of God's wrath and judgment. Not only is the fear of the Lord put before their eyes, but even God's judgment of wrath against them is declared. In verse 11, when it tells Zion to be glad and for the daughters of Judah to rejoice because of his judgment, those judgments are against the enemy of God. So Zion, from the perspective of its enemies, is not one of God's protection and love, but of God's wrath and judgment. And lastly, we see from the perspective of the enemy, Zion is a harbinger of ultimate defeat, is is a picture of what ultimately will come. That the new Jerusalem which comes, which we saw in Revelation 21, is a fixture of God's eternal reign. That His reign will not be thwarted, that He will be on the throne forever. There is no defeating this God. There is no defeating or conquering Zion. Those who come against it will be destroyed. So just from these two perspectives, we see that there is great joy and blessing and privilege to be numbered among God's people. And so you should praise God. We should be thankful for what the Lord is doing in our midst and what He has done for us through Christ. 
Let me end with a few observations and exhortations for you. Your prayers are working. First, know that the enemies of the church will not prevail against it. Psalm 48 reminds us that the enemies of the church will not prevail against it. Jesus says as much in Matthew 16, verse 18, doesn't he? That on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Cannot be overcome or thwarted. Though they may attempt and try, and though the gates of hell may shake, they will not ultimately prevail against it. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 31, 39, Paul also says something similar. He says, what shall we say to these things? That if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave, us, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is a promise for the elect. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. All blessings and privileges of those who are numbered among God's people. He goes on, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Will the gates of hell prevail against the church? No. Can the enemies march on the gates of Mount Zion? No. There is no thwarting, defeating, or conquering which God has purchased with his own blood. So be confident. Trust in the Lord and his provision, his protection, and all that he gives. Believe by faith the words of Jesus that he has established in his building his church. Trust in the promises of God that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Your sin cannot separate you any longer from Christ. Your doubts, your fears, your struggles do not keep you from the love of God in Christ. They may prevent you from walking in fellowship with him. They may break at times the reputation of the gospel and even malign the church's reputation as sinners sin. But there is nothing that we can do or that our enemies could do to us to separate us from the love of Christ. That's a precious gift that you are exhorted to believe. Secondly, we observe that the inhabitants of the city are deeply loved by God. What's the basis of this rock-solid confidence we can have that we will never be separated from God and His love for us in Christ? It is that He has committed Himself to our good. We are deeply loved by God. The gospel is the proof of this. When you are brought into the city of Zion, when you are numbered among God's people, you have all the proof that you need that God loves you and His heart beats for you. And so friends, I want to ask you, which city do you belong to? The city which demonstrates his love for you? The city of Zion? Or do you inhabit another city far off, named after yourself, where you build your own kingdom, amass your own riches, control your own army? Ultimately, there comes a, direct, a day of reckoning when you must come against the Lord. And all of your powers and all of your riches will not stack up. But those who are deeply loved by God 
are known by him and protected. Friends, I implore you to desire this city if it is not your own. The inhabitants of the city are so deeply loved by God and is the basis of their joy, of their confidence, and of their trust in him no matter what. There may be at times fear and doubt as the enemies march upon the gates of Zion. But God's promise says that they will be turned away in anguish and in fear. Third, observe that God uses his people to disclose his character to the world. He reveals himself through the church. His promises are made known and Christ is exalted through the church. When it says in verse 3 that within her citadels God has made himself known as a fortress, it means that the whole world will come to know and praise God through his people, their worship. It is our obligation to go, it says in verse 13, and tell this to our children, to raise them up in the knowledge and the fear and the admonition of the Lord that they would know that God has built this city. He is striving to make this city all that he has promised it would be. God uses his people to disclose his character and his promises to the world. The world knows Christ through the witness of the gospel out of the mouths and the faithful witness of the church. Lastly, we are exhorted to be free in who we are in Christ for the glory of the Lord. Because of the confidence and the trust and the foundation of God's covenant love with us as inhabitants of the city of Zion belonging to Christ, We are free to be faithful and obedient to him in all things, even if at times it is not expedient for us to do so, or it may put us in harm's way, or it may not grant us the reputation we so desire or seek in the world. We are free to love and serve God, to be the church exactly who we are designed and meant to be. We are freed from the need to seek the reputation or the well-saying of other men, to be known as smart intellectuals, to be known as the most neighborly of neighbors. No, we are free to be known as those who are faithful to Christ. This is for the glory of the Lord. Zion exists so that he may make himself known through her. He is the one who establishes it forever. It is the center of his throne. He is the king, and all the world will come to bow before him. But we, his people, have a unique place a front row seat at the glory of the Lord on display through the gospel. Friends, you are exhorted not only to believe this gospel, but to cherish and exult in it. As God has made himself known to you, so we make, our, we make him known to the world. We worship, we celebrate, we sing, and we exalt Christ, who is the King of Zion. And for those who are inhabitants of the city, we are grateful, we worship, and we tell the good news. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we were once aliens and strangers, that at one point we did not belong to this city, that in your great love with which you have loved us, you have caused us to be made alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved, not from our own works, It is the gift of God, lest we boast. We have been made partakers of the covenant promises of God in Christ. We are members of the household of God. 
brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. So grateful, God, for your mercy. We look to the gospel of your son Jesus as the proof and the demonstration of your great love for us. And I pray for those who have not yet fully experienced and received that love by faith. And ask God that you would so move in their hearts and minds to see that this truly is an act of great love. And that they would have the desire and affection stirred in their heart to want to be numbered among the members of your kingdom, to receive the blessing of your protection, to exult in the glory of your name because of what you have done and promised to do, and that we would look forward to the great city of Zion in heaven where the old has all passed away, and we rejoice and celebrate and worship God in his presence. Lord, we pray and we give thanks to you for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com.